The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com events where you can get your tickets. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's Wednesday, November the 4th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. We are recording this at 5.20am Irish time, so do bear that in mind. But I'm joined right now by our Washington correspondent, Suzanne Lynch. Suzanne, hi. Good morning, Hugh. It's been quite a night in the US presidential election count and it's far from over. But maybe for a start, you could just give us a summary of the story so far. Yeah, look, polls started to close here at about 7 p.m. local time, so around midnight in Ireland. And um, really what we've seen, to kind of summarise it, is a a pretty strong performance by Donald Trump, uh, particularly in some of these key states that we knew were going to report quite early, including Florida. Now, as I speak to you now, Florida hasn't been officially declared for Trump, but it looks like he's on course to win that state. Uh, He looks like he may also win uh, North Carolina and Georgia, although uh, particularly with North Carolina, there will still be votes coming in next week. Um, And also Texas, which was a state Democrats had been hoping to flip. Donald Trump is well ahead there. Um, So uh, even though what, what was quite interesting how the night unfolded was that at the beginning of the count, uh, Joe Biden w- was ahead in some of the, the counties that started coming in at the beginning in Florida, for example. But very quickly, uh, it became obvious that Donald Trump was running up his uh, numbers in other counties. Um, and this pattern took place throughout the night. We had this in Florida. Then there was all this flurry of activity around Ohio. It looked like Biden was ahead. Maybe he could flip Ohio. That went decisively for Trump in 2016. But again, as the votes came in, it gradually slipped back over into Trump's camp. And that also happened with North Carolina, even though, as I say, we still don't have a final result there. So now, Hugh, the way it stands out, it's all coming down to those key Rust Belt states that Donald Trump won in 2016. Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. We're back where we started, in a sense. And I think that's where the focus is going to be now. And uh, we'll have a look at them in a, in a second. But first of all, just to go back to Florida, which was really where the, where the first news came from during the night. And really, it's fair to say that throughout the night, we've had what people warned us we were going to get with red mirages and blue shifts as different blocks of votes were, were, were 
counted at different times in different states. In some cases, that benefited or appeared to benefit Republicans at the start of the count, and in some cases, it appeared to uh, benefit uh, Democrats. But the key big number I thought that came through in the first hour or so was from Miami-Dade County, which is a big, big county in Florida, um, quite Hispanic. And Joe Biden's numbers came in and they were really terrible. They were much worse than Hillary Clinton's had been four years ago. Yeah, this was when it became clear that Democrats were now in trouble in Florida. Um, actually, I campaigned, not campaigned, but covered uh, the, the Miami-Dade County a few weeks ago. I went down there with the Irish Times and I went out with, out with some Democratic um, canvassers, essentially, in the area. And, you know, I'm not that surprised that it has turned out like this because nearly everybody we interviewed was very pro-Trump. Uh, you've got a very unique demographic in Florida. You have a lot of uh, Cuban-Americans, a lot of Venezuelan-Americans um, and a lot of Latino voters there that would have come from socialist countries who tend to vote Republican. And then I think there has been a, a broader concern throughout this campaign about Joe Biden's popularity among the Latino vote. I remember in the early stage of the primary contest last year, a lot of the young Latino voters in Nevada, in California, they all went for Bernie Sanders. You know, Joe Biden at the very beginning was struggling with this vote. So this now has come true. These doubts about his popularity that Democrats were worried about, they've come come true. So, so that is a really disappointing result for Democrats in that the biggest county in Florida, Miami-Dade. And that really looks to be where, where they lost the state. And it really raises, raises a broader question for the Democratic Party into the future, which has put all its chips on um, a more diverse uh, uh, United States, a less white United States, and on its ability to capture that non-white vote and has perhaps taken for granted or not understood the complexity of uh, what's defined very broadly as the Hispanic vote, which actually covers a whole range of different kinds of people from different kinds of places and different generations of immigrants as well. Absolutely. There's no one Hispanic vote. and But what we're seeing now is votes are coming in from Arizona and Nevada. It will be interesting to see how the Hispanic vote plays there because we're even at very early, but some of the votes that are coming through in Texas, in counties in southern Texas that have a big Latino vote, there are suggestions that Joe Biden is not getting the kind of numbers that Clinton got there either. Now, again, picking up on your point there about um, the diversity within the Latino vote, you know, the Republican Party has long had a very strong relationship with Hispanic voters in Texas, for example. You know, under the two Bush presidents, they were very well aware of the way the demographics were going in Texas. And they made a concerted effort to bring the Latino vote along with them. And they successfully cultivated a relationship with the Latino vote. So, yeah, this is a real, real challenge now for Democrats. Also in Florida, the other aspect I was surprised about was there was lots of talk about over 65s and how they were no longer supporting Trump because of coronavirus. In fact, um, Sumter County, which is the home of the Villages, which is the largest retirement community in the US, Trump's vote seems to have support held up very well there. It looks like, now we don't have full results here, but it looks like he won 67.8% of the vote there compared to 68.8% in 2016. So all this talk about, you know, the, the, the seniors moving away from Trump, that doesn't seem to have transpired either in Florida. So again, you know, we're getting questions here about the polling that was done in that state ahead of the election. Now, Florida it was unusual. Florida, in fact, is always unusual. It's a very unusual kind of a state. Uh, if we move on to the other states, which the Democrats were targeting, some perhaps more in, in hope than an expectation, like, like Texas, or even maybe like Georgia, uh, North Carolina as well. They, they certainly appear to have fallen 
short in North Carolina and definitely, as you say, fallen short in Texas. Um, Georgia still, still seems to be up for grabs. But overall, none of those states were the ones which they thought they needed to have in the bag. And you mentioned Arizona there. Arizona could be crucial in the end. It certainly looks as if it's going to be the first state, actually, in this election that's going to flip from 2016 to 2020, red to blue. Yeah, and actually there is controversy over the fact that Fox News has called Arizona for Joe Biden and the Trump campaign are not happy. And now it looks like Fox News may actually retract that. But look, Joe Biden is leading in Arizona and this was a hope for the Democrats because they believe the change in demographics there was going to flip that state towards them. And it looks like they may have pulled that off. Um, but I think it is significant. I mean, we were. it reminded me back two years ago in the midterm elections, there was so much energy around Beto O'Rourke, the, the, the Texas... Senate candidate there. There was lots of energy around uh, Stacey Abrams in Georgia and Andrew Gillum in Florida. Lots of fundraising, lots of energy. But you know what? In the end, they didn't have enough to get any of those states over the line. And we seem to be back there again in terms of Texas and Georgia again. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of conversation, a lot of energy and a lot of resources going into those states in the last few weeks. And again, you know, I think that's been a disappointment for a lot of Democrats who were expecting some kind of a blue wave in a, in some of those states in the South. Now, this is far from over. Um, in fact, it, the three key states remain to be decided and it looks at the moment as if they're certainly not going to be decided tonight uh, and it may be a day or two um, or even three before they're all decided. And that's even uh, without getting into the possibility of legal action of one sort or another if it ends up being really tight in one of those three states, which are Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. Um, Joe Biden is still not too badly placed, though. I mean, if he does win Arizona, if Fox News is right, and if he picks up the couple of single um, electoral votes which might be available to him in Nebraska and in Maine, he could actually get away without Pennsylvania, just about. So he, ha he still has routes to uh, slightly easier routes, I would have thought, to the presidency than Donald Trump. He definitely does. Um, he is leading in these states, uh, according to polls. But then, you know, as we, we've seen, how reliable are polls, it, particularly when you're coming down to this turnout issue and how the early vote is going to play. So, yes, I mean, for Joe Biden, in a way, this underlines why, for him, he was the right candidate for Democrats. Because one would argue, if it's come back down to these Rust Belt states, which it seems to have have, uh, Joe Biden has always been the candidate who has managed to connect with that kind of overwhelmingly white and that more kind of, kind of blue collar voter in in some of those rural parts of the state, as well as having strong support among African-Americans in cities like Philadelphia in Pennsylvania or Detroit in Michigan or Milwaukee in uh, Wisconsin. Uh, even though there has been suggestions, you know, that his support among African-American community has been a bit lower than Clinton. So like that's going to be something to watch. Uh, but we don't know how those states are going, going to go. I mean, the 70% of Wisconsin is now in and Donald Trump is ahead. So um, let's see how those, those work out. But as I say, if it does come down to those states, if Joe Biden wins them, well, then I think he will be vindicated and the Democratic Party will be vindicated that, you know, they needed somebody like Biden to, to win these states. There's also a few good signs for Biden now as the morning goes on here. And Minnesota was very interesting. It's another one of these Midwestern, upper Midwest states. Um, it's right beside uh, Wisconsin and Iowa. And the Trump campaign had been confident that they might flip that. They'd been putting a lot of resources into the state, but it looks like they have not won that now. It's been called for Joe Biden. So this bodes well, I think, for Biden 
in those mis- Midwestern states, particularly uh, neighboring Wisconsin. Uh, but Pennsylvania is going to be the big focus now. It's got 20 electoral votes. So it's the, you know, it's the biggest out of those three. As you say, he may be able to get there with a combination of the three, but still Pennsylvania is very important and it's very tight. Uh, so it's always been the tightest of the three uh, states of those Rust Belt states. So um, this is where a lot of the focus, I think, is going to go in the next 48 hours or so. And without getting into too much crystal ball gazing, because the crystal ball gazing business hasn't had a very good night, I think, in terms of the predictions uh, and how they've been borne out on on the night. It does seem that in those southern states that that uh, got their results in earlier, they um, they had the postal ballots and the uh, early ballots in. They counted them first or relatively early in the process. Whereas we know that in the um, in the Midwest states, very often the postal ballots haven't been opened or haven't been fully counted because of the way those states ran their affairs, which might be a you know a straw in the wind in the favour of Biden. It, it, it well may be. And um, you're absolutely right that a lot of these uh, absentee votes won't start being counted in some counties in Pennsylvania, for example, until tomorrow. They won't even start counting some of those absentee votes and they are probably going to benefit Biden. Um, now, it is worth mentioning, though, that the figures seem to suggest that there wasn't a huge take up of absentee votes in Pennsylvania. I mean, significant, but not as significant as in other states. So how much you'll benefit from that, we don't know. But yes, I mean, th- that's the way the trend has gone. The absentee votes are benef- benefiting Biden more. Um, now, there are, I mean, look again, as you say, you know, who knows? But there are signs that in some of the rural counties in Pennsylvania, where Donald Trump won the last time, that his margins are e- higher this year or even higher. So that's a concern for Biden. Um, so some of those counties in western Pennsylvania, uh, even though, as I say, he's going to ho- hopefully, he thinks, get the vote up in Philadelphia um, among the black population, for example. So maybe, you know, they won't have to worry about it if Trump gets his margins up. Uh, but the Trump campaign, uh, just before the polls closed this evening, had a press call with journalists. They were very upbeat about Pennsylvania. They basically argued that they felt that Democrats had kind of cannibalized their own vote is the way they said it. They said, yes, Democrats got a good turnout in early voting. But, you know, that's only people who would have voted anyway on Election Day. And actually, we believe looking at lines and queues in rural counties in Pennsylvania, we believe that we've got, you know, it's very strong for us. So, you know, let's see how those states work out. But as you say, it will be a long time before we get a result there. Regardless of what the final result is, isn't this a remarkable achievement for Donald Trump, who's had an extraordinarily turbulent presidency, deeply unpopular by comparison with previous presidents, presided, in the view of most Americans, very badly over a pandemic that's killed hundreds of thousands of people, uh, had a disastrous debate. I mean, the list could go on. Um, but And looked sort of beaten over the last few days in terms of the way he was speaking, but sort of kept so slogging around the States doing multiple appearances. Um and he's in a way he's been sort of justified, hasn't he, by this by, by the results so far? Yeah, I think for Democrats the kind of animosity they sensed that was out there has not seemed to translate into a huge election victory for, for them. Um but I think one of the the issues that came up in the exit polls um last night is quite interesting. It, it suggested that coronavirus was not actually a key issue for a lot of voters, which is really interesting. And some people might find find that very strange. But I know from talking to Trump supporters myself, you know, they, they kind of don't blame him. They, I know people might agree with this, but they don't see it like that. They say, say it's not his fault. Every country in the world is struggling with a pandemic. 
you know, came in from China and what could he do kind of. That has been the attitude. So I am not that surprised. I think there's been a lot of media focus on coronavirus and Trump's mishandling of it. But I just don't know how much that really impacted on people's decisions about whether to vote for, for Donald Trump or not. As has just been proven, actually, with the older, the senior vote in Florida, where it didn't it didn't collapse, you know, after coronavirus, like everyone expected it to do. So that's an interesting trend about why people voted. And I'm surprised myself. I kept saying this is a referendum on Trump. It's not the economy. But it does look like quite a significant number of Americans voted on the economy. That this is, you know, why, you know, you're getting back to this whole reputation of the Republican Party as being the party of business, etc. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see the trends of why people cast their votes in a certain way. Um, but I do think there's a, there is a ground game argument here and there will be a bit of soul searching, I think, of the Biden campaign. He wasn't that visible. Uh, Kamala Harris found it hard to break through the media coverage, I think, whereas Donald Trump was out, as we know, day after day on the campaign trail. And maybe uh, we'll see how this works out, but maybe that, that paid off. It Surely it definitely played off in, in Florida. That's for sure. Um, and you could see that the Democratic Party in the last week or two were panicking about Florida. Barack Obama was there twice in the last week and they were trying to get that vote out and they, they failed ultimately. Um, so, yeah, it may be when we look at these numbers it may be just the fact that, you know, the Trump campaign knew where their supporters were and got them to the polls. I mean, I think that's part of their success in certain states tonight. Now, the Democrats were hoping to regain control of the Senate. Uh, they were probably always going to lose one seat in Alabama, which meant that they needed to win four in order to uh, in order to gain control. It looks a stretch for them right now. Yeah, there's been a few developments there. Um, so number one, which is interesting, is Lindsey Graham, the, the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, South Carolina Republican, he faced a huge challenge from Jamie Harrison, a Democrat there, um, who brought in record-breaking, literally, uh, millions of dollars for his campaign. But a bit like Beto O'Rourke in 2018, it wasn't enough. Lindsey Graham has won his Senate race. So that's that. Um, in Arizona, things are looking much more positive from Dem- for Democrats. Uh, Mark Kelly, the former astronaut, who's the husband of the former Congresswoman, Gabby Giffords, who survived a shooting to the head back in 2010. He is well ahead there. and He looks like he's going to win Arizona. Um, but what's very interesting at the moment is the North Carolina race. Tom Tillis, the Republican, faced a challenger from D- Cal Cunningham, who was embroiled in, a, in an old-fashioned sex scandal in the weeks before uh, the election when he was found to have been texting a woman who was not his wife. Uh, but Tillis, at this point, as we talk, he looks like he's edging ahead and he's going to hold on to that. Um, so it looks like he's basically going to declare victory. So that's a blow uh, for Democrats. The other one, though, that still has not come in because we only have about half of the, of the state vote uh, that has come in, the vote, is Susan Collins in Maine. Um, She was battling to uh, distance herself from Donald Trump because he's not particularly popular in the state of Maine. She's facing a big challenge from a Democrat there. uh, But so far, we have no results on that. Um, She's actually leading slightly, but that's, as I say, is only certain parts of the state have, have returned to vote at this stage. I saw Lindsey Graham making his acceptance speech uh, a little while ago, and he was having great fun at the expense of the Democrats, basically laughing at the amount of money they had spent on unsuccessfully trying to unseat him, I think $80 million or something that sort, described it as the worst return on investment in the history of American politics. And there is something going on there, isn't it? You know, there was a lot of talk about how Biden's war chest was so huge and the Democrats had so much money. They buy all this television space. They blanketed Florida and TV ads and it doesn't work. 
Yeah, I did a did a wrote an article about this about a week ago about campaign finance. I mean, the money going into this election is going to be record breaking billions, 11 billion, maybe they think with the election cycle. And yeah, Joe Biden has been outraising Donald Trump since the Democratic Party coalesced behind him kind of in the early summer. Um, and traveling around the country myself, I found that, you know, the ads are just bombardment of ads in states like North Carolina, in states like South Carolina. But look, it wasn't enough, obviously. And Donald Trump has said from the beginning that, you know, he had been outraised by Hillary Clinton four years ago. And look what happened there. It looks like he might be proved right again. Let's see what happens um, with the presidential race. And also, as well as this Lindsey Graham race, the extraordinary amount of money went into uh, the Kentucky Senate race. Mitch McConnell, the, the top Republican there, faced a pretty robust challenge from a Democrat candidate. She was not going to win, but, you know, she was a strong candidate. But tens of millions went into that race, too. So what you're ha- what's happening now in America with the opening out of fundraising uh, mediums, if you like, uh, you're getting a lot of money into races, but they tend to come from the nationally. So people from around the country maybe donate money to a campaign in in South Carolina. But actually, you know, they're not the people who are going to be deciding at the end, end of the day. It's the people in South Carolina. So I think the amount of money that's been raised is is a false indication of the support levels for that candidate in that particular state. Now, if Donald Trump does win, if he pulls the straight flush or whatever the metaphor is for, for getting all the way through, it'll almost certainly be with an even smaller proportion of the popular vote or or losing by more to the Democratic candidate than was the case in 2016. Um that creates a remarkable sort of a set of circumstances for the next four years, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's a serious legitimacy issue about the electoral system here that, um, you know, we're all familiar with the with the unique system here, whereby just because you win the most votes, you don't win the election. But just to stress, it's quite unusual for somebody to lose the popular vote um, and, and win the election. It doesn't happen that often. It happened in 2000, Bush v. Gore. It happened in 2016. But I think only about five or six times in history it's happened. And yet again, it looks like if Donald Trump wins, as you say, it will be because he loses the popular vote. And um, so, yeah, look, that is a big challenge for America now. And and the, this it is compounded by the fact that it's even more... Um, suspect, if you like, or questionable the way the Senate is set up, whereby each state gets two senators. So even if you're a tiny straight stage with 500,000 people, you get the same number of senators as California. Um, so, you know, the whole concept of one man, one person per one vote, you know, doesn't really exist properly in America because actually your vote is more valuable if you're in a more, in a more rural state. Uh, and, you know, that is reflected in both the electoral college system and the Senate system. But look, you know, it would take a lot, you know, majorities in Congress, constitutional amendments to change the system. And, you know, it's this chicken and egg situation. You would need to have Democrats in power and with a huge majority to be able to try and change that. I mean, one of the hopes was that perhaps if Democrats get in and of course they could still control the two houses of Congress. We don't know um, that, you know, one thing that really could be on the agenda in the short term is giving statehood. Washington, D.C. It doesn't have any electoral college votes. It's a big democratic uh, city. And, you know, the, the the phrase here is, you know, no taxation, no representation. You know, there's, there's been a movement there and it really is gathering pace. And I could see that logically happening you know, in the next few years. But look, if Republicans are in power, it's not going to happen. It got very far in the House this year and it was blocked ultimately. Um, but look, yes, you're right. I think it's really going to raise questions about this entire system. If yet again, Donald Trump is reelected without, you know, the popular vote. And, and finally, 
even if he doesn't win, there is a, there's been a lot of sentiments expressed, uh, including on our own newspaper over the last few days, looking forward to this election as a chance to basically wipe Donald Trump out of our minds and out of our brains, where he's inhabited them in such a prominent, in such a loud way for the last for the last four years. But even if Donald Trump loses, it'll be by such a small margin that he won't go away, will he? And Trumpism within the Republican Party, whatever that means into the future, and Trump as a as a very prominent individual, will still kind of walk the stage of America in a very in a very significant way for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think his politics have been vindicated tonight, um, regardless of the ultimate outcome. Um, he's proven to the naysayers in the Republican Party, all few of them, um, that people, the population, the the core Republican voters like what he stands for and supports his policies. And this is, you know, is going to be a shock to a lot of Republicans. It's going to be a bit of a moment of reckoning for them, I think, uh, because, look, let's, you know, stepping back, I firmly believe that, you know, you could say, OK, Biden might still win this. But, you know, let's face it, I think Democrats were expecting to do a lot better at this election. You know, they really thought they were in a chance in these Sunbelt states, as we discussed. Um, so, you know, even if they do win, I think, you know, there's going to be a bad taste in their mouth uh, after this victory. So, yes, I mean, America has to confront now the reality of Trumpism, that it's here to stay. Um, what he might do if he isn't elected is another matter. A lot of talk about him maybe setting up his own media channel. And actually, one of the sub-themes of tonight is this row that's brewing between the Trump campaign and Fox News over Fox's decision to call racist against Donald Trump. So, you know, watch this space. I think that's where Donald Trump could make his mark if he isn't re-elected, as well as the fact that he made a lot of money out of The Apprentice and, you know, it will it will be a cash cow for him. Um, but yeah, let's see. But you're absolutely right that uh, Trumpism has not gone away after this election, that is for sure. Very last question, Suzanne. Realistically, when do you think we can realistically expect a result? Well, I think at this stage, because it's so tight, uh, Donald Trump has said he is going to challenge the result in Pennsylvania. So if we keep him at his word, I think then we, we could see legal challenges. So I think this could go into next week, at least. It could go longer. So um, we may have a strong indication by Thursday or Friday, but this could easily go into next week because it's getting tighter. And uh, as I say, we, you know, Donald Trump said he's going to bring these bill challenges. And I think that's what we're going to see from the president. OK, keep drinking the coffee. We'll leave it there for the moment anyway. Thanks very much, Suzanne. Thanks also to our producer, Declan Conlon. And if you do want to get in touch with us, we're always delighted to hear from you. Just email us at politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. Until the next time, thanks very much indeed for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. 
the secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. Um...